the USL show, also known as The View for Soccer. I gave a very pro wrestling heel turn, I'm sorry you were offended apology. The US military discussing what a Naruto run is for the Area 51 raid. I feel angry. Welcome to the USL show. We are back in regular season action. I am Pony, your host for this night or whenever you want to listen to this podcast. Happy morning, happy midday, happy lunch break, or happy evening tomorrow. With me today is Ryan. Hello, hope you're doing all right tonight, Pony. Doing pretty well. And also with me today is our guest, Harry from San Antonio. Hey, thanks for the invite, Pony. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on. Yeah, it's good to have you too, especially as I don't think either Ryan or I saw your game live, so we'll we'll, we'll lean on you a bit for that one. But we're going to run down all the games from starting with the first, technically week one, which was two games, but week one of the USL first game, Louisville City defending East Champions in perennial really good team. Beats Atlanta United 2-0. Watching this one, I mean, I think Atlanta looks better than we thought they are going to be. They're not a playoff beast, but I think they are better than they were in the last year. And Louisville, as doing Louisville things in their new stadium, looks like one of the better teams in the league. Anyone have any other big thoughts on that? Captain Del Piccolo gets a brace for Louisville in that match, and they look like they're just back and the same Louisville side that we all know and either love or root against. Yeah, to me Atlanta United or yeah, Atlanta United 2 stayed with them till what it was the 69th minute when uh, uh, Del Piccolo scored the first goal here so um, I think you know at least from me as as a as an observer of the game uh, Atlanta United 2 uh, hung in the game a lot longer than what I anticipated it with it being the very first game. Yeah, it's always interesting to see what the two teams put out because every year there tends to be a lot of turnover within the team and a team could go from being really good to really bad or go from being not great to being a team that looks like they might be not only a playoff team but a team who can actually can make a run. And from what I saw at Atlanta and you know, in the Atlantic Atlanta Atlantic division, that's gonna be a tongue twister for me, is a team who we thought would not be that great, but if they end up hanging around the playoff bubble, I wouldn't be completely shocked at this point, especially if someone slips up. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, as of right now, Atlanta United 2 is currently fourth in the Central uh, Division. And so they could definitely uh, find their way into a playoff spot, considering that the four teams beneath them, Memphis, Birmingham, SKC 2, and OKC are the sides beneath them. So they could certainly sneak their way into the fourth spot. Yeah, and the other game from opening day of a little bit more than a week ago was FC Tulsa beats Oklahoma City 3-1. to one. And if you did not watch at least the highlights of that game, Joaquin Rivas for Tulsa had a very, very nice goal, which won goal of the week, pretty rightfully so. And Tulsa, who was really good last year, 
and has a lot of their team back, looks, again, really good this year. I think it's about the end of the chance to be sleeping on Tulsa as a top team. Yeah, you don't want to be missing Tulsa. I think you and I, Pony, were... Uh, I was pretty high on him last year because um, you could kind of see you know, that the owner was investing money not only with the rebrand, but just in the lineup, the quality that they were bringing in was much different than they were able to, to do previously. Um, and, you know, the brace by Joaquin Rivas, you know, that second goal was just, you know, world-class. Um, on the flip side, uh, the energy may be in for a long year because they did not look good um, in either of their matches. And, and we'll talk about the second match here uh, soon, but um, two games at home and, and, and not looking good. So, you know, if I'm an energy fan, you know, you, you got to hope things turn around quickly. Yeah, I kind of, I agree that, I mean, at least in the second half, Oklahoma State looked a lot better. I mean, they weren't, they didn't look like a great team, but if they play like they did in the second half for the rest of the season, they might be able to scrap their way up to being close to a playoff spot. Mm-hmm. But if they play like they did in the first half, and especially people exploit them like Tulsa did, this could be another long season for Oklahoma City. I just don't think they have the talent. Yeah, I I think they need to be at the top of their game for more than one half and do that consistently. And I'm not sure the talent, like you said, is there for them to do that all year long. You know, I think what's going to be crucial for them going forward, and we'll talk about this when we uh, mention OKC's uh, second match of the season, a one no defeat to uh, Atlanta United 2, is they needed to pick up points against teams like that if they want to maintain any semblance of competitiveness in that division. Yep. And that was the end of what was technically week one of the USL 2 games, because that's what week ones are nowadays. But moving on to the second week, our first game was Hartford Athletic 3, New York Red Bulls 2-2. That's going to be confusing, but (laughs) that's the way it works out at times. And this was another one where I think Hartford was the better team, and then they kind of went to sleep late in the game and let New York back into it. And New York is a team who, for the last few years, if you give chances, will capitalize on those chances. And... If Hartford starts doing that to good teams, they will struggle. But if they play like they did early, they will be a very good team. And, I mean, remember, Hartford was on top of Pittsburgh to win their group last year. This is not Mm -hmm. a bad team. If they play together well, I think Hartford could be very dangerous. It's just a matter of what type of Hartford shows up. If it was a Hartford who played early in this game, Hartford is a playoff team. And I think they could be a team who could even win a playoff game or two if they get some luck. And New York is just going to be that chaotic neutral team who will either win or lose three to two every game because that's what New York likes to do. Yeah, I thought Hartford looked, you know, especially starting out of the gate where they had two goals in the first 36 minutes, um, and, and then you could kind of tell that they took, you know, took their foot off the pedal. Um, but you know, after uh, you know New York Red Bulls uh, two scored, uh, you know in the second half, you could tell they flipped the switch on a little bit and, and got that go-ahead goal by uh, Arthur Rogers or that third goal um, to put it back on ice. And, and I know uh, uh, the Red Bulls got a, a late uh, PK goal to to make it closer three to two. But <clears throat> to me, this match, even though Hartford was kind of stepped back, I never thought they were in position to lose. Um, 
you know they you know they had control of the game now you know they were absorbing what what the red bulls two were doing but uh you know hartford looked really well you know because that was going to be the mystery with some of the changes that they've had is how good would would they respond at the start of the season yeah and on the flip side i definitely think there were positives to take away from that match for new york red bulls too that it wasn't an entire it was a defeat but i still think that there showed like pony said that kind of chaotic neutral uh mindset that they can stay within games i, I mean looking ahead at the atlantic division there's still uh, i think there are, there are six or seven playoff caliber teams that could finish in the top four and there's going to be a very good side that's going to get left out of the top four at the end of the year yeah i don't doubt that it'll be interesting to see who actually comes up on top because there are a lot of good teams there and if someone goes on a cold streak for too long that's going to cost them a playoff spot and i can see it being one of quite a few teams including some who as of today have not even played a game yet yes All right, going to move down to a bit of a surprise, at least more of a surprise before today. Phoenix beats San Diego 4-1 to one in something I don't think anyone really saw coming. I think you had mentioned it on Twitter, Pony, that this, uh, in the moment it could have been a Western Conference final matchup. Yeah, I mean, it looked like I was thinking, like, okay, San Diego doesn't look too bad for a while, and then they started giving up these weird... The defense started looking shaky. They gave up a couple odd chances and giveaways in the back, and then it just snowballed. And then before you knew it, Phoenix had just destroyed them. And I mean, there's the really game no wasn't as close as the four-one either. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's one of those weird games where this is. We thought this was probably going to be like the game of the week for most of us, and then it turned into what actually happened, where San Diego did not look right and Phoenix looked like they have looked for the last few years and capitalized and then destroyed San Diego for having what appeared at the time to be an off day I mean I would almost go as far as say it's maybe even more than an off day I mean granted given the result that they have tonight but in this one particular match against Phoenix they were outshot 25 to 3 and their lone shot on target was their goal yeah, yeah it, this game wasn't close. You know, you know if you listen to any, you know, even the fans from the, from the loyal, this this game, you know, is just something that that you know you're glad it happened in game one, and hopefully you can learn from it and move forward. But the back line was shaky. You could tell that uh, Yaro and uh, the guy I forget the guy from Pittsburgh. Um, with the real long uh, last name there, Horse, you could you Horse could Horse tell Hawk. that they hadn't no, worked together very well. Oh no, backline, sorry, back Alexi yeah. or something like that. Yeah, something like. But you could tell the backline hadn't worked well together. Um, and one thing that I kind of wonder, and you know, I saw this with Darren Powell. You know, you know, his first. You know, once people kind of learned his system, they made the adjustments, and and he never really seemed to have just since then. So I'm kind of waiting to see if Landon Donovan is going to be able to make the adjustments that teams have to um, his system, uh, you know, for that here. And <clears throat> so far early on, it doesn't it doesn't look look well because there is film on on what Landon Donovan likes to do. 
the loyal have the talent it's just a matter of, of you know the, the you know talent of them getting it uh, turned right uh for that here but you know let's be honest there were some changes um in in you know this past past year where you know with the uh was it uh, rubinho was the one that's in uh, real uh, salt lake yeah um and he was a big big spark plug for them you know in that second half push that they made yeah, it's just a confusing one where even with bringing in some new pieces, we thought San Diego would be more where they were at the end of last year where without the, I guess, the, the things happening and if they made the playoffs, I think San Diego, at least making the West Finals, would not have been an unpopular pick between people because they were playing very well. This just looks like a bad step backwards and in such a good group, taking this big of a step backwards is going to be very dangerous moving forwards. Especially after the results for tonight, it, it kind of compounds. It kind of compounds at two games in and no points. So that's you know you know if Rising gets a result against against uh, Oakland, they would already be six points out from first after two matches. And, and that and I know we've got what thirty some games left, um, but you, you look at the talent and, and, and you know you look at the talent and. You don't want to get too far down, down, you know, down in the standings this early. And you know, it's not to say you can't make the playoffs when the playoffs reset. You know, you know the Atlantic, you know, versus you know the um, you know the Central, and then the Pacific versus the Mountain. So it's a brand new season. But you know, you want to. I'd rather be playing at home than playing on the road when it comes to the playoffs. Especially when you have a team in the Pacific right now who could very well be a playoff team that hasn't played a game yet in Orange County. Mm-hmm. Yep, a lot of stuff to go. And the last game of the night for Friday the 30th of April was LA Galaxy 2-0 and Sacramento Republic 1. I have to call, stop calling these guys 2 because it's going to just confuse people when they listen to this if they don't know about the results of games. <laughs> but Sacramento fans speaking here... I think they were lucky to get all three points. LA played a very good game. They played, they had a couple good chances, and Sacramento did not have a ton of great chances themselves. Their goal was on a really good combination of passes that LA just was not able to keep track of in the box after somewhat of a failed clearance. But overall, I think this is what Sacramento should be doing. They should be just barely edging out one nil on the road against a team who especially after their next game, I think LA could be the number four seed on the Pacific. I would not be shocked if they snuck in there. And remember, they are usually right on that bubble historically. They're not a bad team. And if you go back maybe five years, they lost the cup on basically a stoppage time equalizer that before they eventually lost in extra time. They are usually a very good team. They're well coached. They have a lot of youth coming through that are very talented. And to me, from Sacramento, winning 1-0 here, I could completely live with that. And being a Sacramento fan again, I think LA should have got a point out of this game. They played well enough, and what we saw in the future makes me think LA is going to be good again this year, like they have been the last few years. So, I... <clears throat> And I, I, I tweeted you this, uh, you know, on, on, on social media, you know, uh, Pony is good teams find a way to get the result. And, you know, you're right. This game should have ended 1-1 or pardon me, one, or 0-0. Uh, 
Um, but Tucker Bone, after being subbed on, you know, was able to get you know get that goal two minutes later. Um, and you need those breaks during the year, and that's that separates you know from being a two three seed or trying to battle in for that four seed is, is games like this where. You know, you're able to get a point out of something, or get you know get you know get all three points out of out of what should have been a draw. Those points add up at the end of the year. So Sacramento is going to be a solid team. You know, I, I think they're I won't say they're a lock for playoffs because who knows about you know injuries and, and stuff coming up. But uh, to me, winning on the road in LA um, is a is a great result. Now, you know, was it the prettiest game to watch? No, but. Um, it, was, it was an entertaining, you know, back and forth game um, that uh, you know that Sacramento pulled out late, which you know is, is what a good team does, in my opinion. Yeah, and Am, if you're not familiar, one of the Sacramento keepers is Tomas Gomez, who is previously at the Rhinos, and I think he won Golden Glove a few years, like five years back. He's made his way over to Sacramento along with. Diaz, who's also on Sacramento as a keeper, who is the Dominican, I think he's Dominican Republic, one of their first choice keepers in international play, so that'll be an interesting battle to watch. I don't think it's too hot of a take to say Sacramento is two of the maybe top 25 keepers in the league right now on their team. Okay, moving forward to one of the interesting games due to something that happened in the second half late. Indy 11 beats Birmingham Legion 1-0. And I think the big story is the red card to Williams for Birmingham in the second half and probable lack of penalty kick that happened up to that point. I think a bigger story was the field. That's even the, another big story, yeah. That the, this was you know, When you got the team putting out a statement saying, hey, that the field is unacceptable and... Um, you know, here in San Antonio, we have some firsthand experience, unfortunately, of playing in the sandboxes, as, as we'd call it. Um, it just, you know, when Birmingham Legion puts out a statement saying, hey, that the game was almost called off and you could, you know, when players are running, playing, you know, uh, you know kicking the ball, you, you saw the sand. It, it, was a, it was a rough game. And, and like I said here, I know the transition from, was it the winter grass or spring grass to the summer grass you know there's an art form to that and you know the red you know you know and especially a team like Birmingham where they're on speed you know that's going to slow them down and you know you know I don't think that that was the only reason why they lost because both teams played on it but um you could tell it affected them and then you know of course you know the the incident in the 87th minute with J.J. Williams was just an ugly day for Birmingham all, all around for you know for the Legion fans. Yeah, I, that uh, red card at the end for the match was just kind of a uh, it just kind of compounded on stuff for Birmingham. Just truly wasn't the best display for the league as a whole for this fixture. Yeah, I mean you look at the like I said, you look at the field condition and that's what you almost more expect from a team who's using a converted baseball diamond of saying like there's going to be patches that are just the coach tells the team ignore this field this area if at all possible and it was the entire area for the most part it was part. the entire was, pitch it was it yeah was I mean nasty. there there is no area that wasn't at least substandard 
and then you had the weird thing with Williams where I think I know of at least a lot in our chat we usually have we said yeah that probably was a PK but should have been should have been a foul. yeah so one of those if, if it got called a PK I don't think Indy could have been upset in the least bit and then Williams in turn decides to kick the guy who took him down in the ribs in front of the ref which is compounding another bad decision and get sent off I was actually somewhat surprised you only got one game for that because that seemed a pretty deliberate attempt to hurt somebody but it only was one game so he'll be back in, in another week which of course means Roman Ham's down two strikers for a good game against Louisville so I'm sure that's going to be pleasant for them <laughs> but uh, this is an interesting one because but they get Memphis is... back at home so uh, <laughs> all is well uh, Memphis yeah be ready to lose 5-0 as you have a really upset Birmingham game coming to you but I, I mean, I think this is one of those weird games where I, I it's going to be interesting in the long run because I think Indy and Birmingham are probably the number three and four team in their division. And even if you want to say it was because of a missed PK and then a weird red and the stadium was bad, this gives Indy the upper hand to be third as long as they continue to play well this year. I mean, they didn't do that last year, really, but if they perform as we all expect them to this like this gives any a strong upper hand to beat Birmingham even if you remove all the weird stuff that happened and I want to see how Birmingham responds once you get two games that they could slash should be winning or they even I mean maybe they just decide to play like a 5 4 5 against Louisville and try to go for a draw who knows but it'll be see it'll be good to see how they bounce back against this because and how they play in the next home game. Because if the pitch is this bad again, I think that might cause something to break in how they host home games. And that would be really interesting because I can't think of a time that a USL team did that to such no, an extent. No, because they let San Antonio play on on, on their pitch. What and Now they had to start replacing the field um, in order to actually get it. And, and to me, that'll be kind of interesting to see since the Legion don't actually own the field and it's more through UAB, how that, you know, how that agreement works out. Um, but, you know, I, you know, you can ask El Paso fans, and I think it was an RGV match that uh, San Antonio had a definite advantage playing on the sandbox, you know, you know those two or three games, what, two years ago, uh, I think it was, um, you know, where, where they, just, they just had major issues with, with the grass not, 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 not growing in right. And so... You know, now could the could they get some you know some fines and stuff? That wouldn't shock me. Just you know, just you know, for not having a proper surface. But I don't know if you, I don't know if you can actually cancel games to to move them. Um, maybe you know, outside of a day or two. But I don't, I don't. With the schedule compacted as it is, I have a hard time believing that you're going to be able to make up games later on if if there is a field condition issue outside of weather uh, related uh, to be able to do so looking ahead on Birmingham's future home games their next three games as you run out for the next month so you have uh, Saturday May 15th hosting Memphis Wednesday the 26th hosting OKC a month from now on Sunday June 6th you host FC Tulsa and then you would have a pretty much about a two-week break between that FC Tulsa match and their next home game, which would be on the 19th against Austin Bold. Uh, I 
feel like uh, if they were going to make a change, it would be after these next three games, just that and they would have enough of a distance between time to either resub the field or just try and fix something. Yeah, I don't know exactly where. I, I don't know the team, but I think like maybe three years ago, there's a one of those USL sides playing in like a high school stadium or college stadium, and then the the whoever owned the stadium won a playoff game, so they actually kicked the USL team out of the stadium for a week and had to risk and they had to find a new home because suddenly I think there's like a football game the same night or the night before, so they wouldn't let him play there anymore. But it'll be interesting to see if Birmingham takes what is a mostly unprecedented move in the USL to just change stadiums mid-season. But do they have anywhere else? The question is, yeah, they, they have, have to any find other somewhere. Place the first to... one, yeah, yeah, they first have to find somewhere. But if they do, that would be quite the story to say to see them change halfway th- through the year, especially because I think just fans and broadcast set up and all that nonsense to come with them. I don't see it happening. You know where they actually change it now. You know, you know, maybe they take some fines or whatever and play. On, you know, play on on a bad pitch. Yes, now. You know, the, the other question kind of comes into, you know, is, you know, with the, the Players Association, and I know they haven't got a deal done yet, but, you know, will they put their foot down if it's, you know, especially if somebody gets hurt along those lines? Because that, that's that's really, you know, we can live with the, the ugly soccer, but risking the players, is, it, to me, is the bigger concern. Yeah. I think if someone gets hurt, that's when the whole thing shifts, especially if it's, you could look at it and go, it was because of the pitch. I think at that point, Birmingham just has to do something one way or another. Mm-hmm. But that was that was a game. Moving next game on the week was Tampa Bay Rowdies beat Charlotte 3-0. And I think most of us saw this coming to a certain extent. Tampa Bay is still Tampa Bay. They are one of the best teams in the league. And Charlotte, as much as they've improved over the last year or two, is still Charlotte. They're a couple steps out of being an elite team. Go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, I mean, Tampa Bay was just... It, I look at this match the same way I look at Louisville beating Atlanta United 2, that it was just a standard perennial Eastern Conference and a title decider or, or title contender that just kind of got back to business and wasted no time just refinding their form. Yeah, that's what struck out to me. You know, I didn't actually watch this. I watched the highlights of it. But what Charlotte had, you know, that you know they were kind of slow on building their squad. Where I think the Rowdies had the majority of, of their team come back. So you know, and then their you know championship quality team as we saw last year, and uh, that's what they're expecting to have this year. And um, you know, once they got that first game and, and, and opened it up, it you know, you know, there, there was no looking back for them. So, but yeah, the, the Rowdies got a, um, you know, probably one of the most convincing wins of the uh, of the week um, last week uh, over Charlotte. That's not to say that I thought Charlotte had a poor game. Like you said, I think I feel like once they allowed that first goal, it kind of just shifted the tide. But it, you know, having that first, I think, twenty or so minutes up to that first goal, Charlotte kept themselves, and there were periods of time where. Or they maintained the ball entirely in the Rowdies' half, so they certainly had their chances. They ended the game tied on shots at nine to nine. But uh, yeah, once Tampa Bay scored, they just do what they do best and control games and 
took home three points there. I think it'll be interesting to see where Charlotte lies in the Atlantic because I would say they're going to be better than Loudon, and who is going to be very likely the eighth place team in the division. But it, is Charlotte, do they have enough of a gap to kind of bridge that gap into what I believe the uh, top six are? Would, what, wouldn't surprise me if they would make the playoffs, but I, I'm not sure I see that in Charlotte at the moment. Oh, it would shock me. I, I don't, you know, I think the the Atlantic with the Rowdies, Hartford, Miami, um, Pittsburgh, Charleston, I think that's a clear top five. Now, can they get above, you know, Red Bulls two and into six? Uh, I think that's maybe their ceiling, um, you know, for that here, just because I do think Miami um, is much better than they were last year. Um, you know, Pittsburgh's Pittsburgh, you know, Hartford, you know, is maybe one of those kind of iffy teams. You know, I think their starters are very solid, but you kind of worry about their depth if, if they sustain any major injuries. But to me, Charlotte, you know, like I said here, I think, I think they're a lower, you know, lower part of the of the of the Atlantic uh, side of a team here. I, I just I just don't think that they're. I don't think they have the the talent, and more important, the depth. You know, for this year's schedule, where it's already kind of crammed in you know you know crammed into you know such a short short week you know short weeks with you know where you're gonna need roster turnover and i just don't know if they have that yeah i like i think charlotte's gonna be one of those teams like new york who more through a few of the results decides who's fourth or fifth but it's not gonna be them i could see them saying oh they beat this they took seven points from the season from this team and that's why that team is fifth place in this playoffs that's who i think charlotte is this year Moving down one game, going the next is Tulsa beats Kansas City two two to zero as a win for Tulsa. Yeah, I watched this one here. Um, Tulsa got on them early in the 14th minute and got the second one with uh, Suarez in the 25th minute, and you know just kind of coasted from there. It's you know. Uh, you know, Sporting Kansas City too was, was solid, but they just couldn't break that back line once once Tulsa got you know you got that lead, and I think that's going to be the key with Tulsa is if they can get get on you and, and get a cup you know one or two goals ahead, good luck trying to break down that defense. Yeah, I mean that's that, I think that's underrated for Tulsa is their defense has been really good and not just this year going back last year. Correct. Tulsa's defense, and they well granted because of that weird schedule they had they only played 15 games but they only allowed 16 goals this is a defense who could play they're not a defense who is to be ignored and if they keep that up this year i think tulsa is going to be one of those teams who you look at the end of the year and go oh wow tulsa in their you know 30 odd game season allowed 30 goals what well, where did this come from and they're proving why they could do that they had they've had two good games already especially on defense and this is going. Like I, said, I think this is a team who, like we've said, is underrated going into the year, and I think people are finally starting to realize that Tulsa is not getting lucky. They're winning these games for a very good reason, and it's because they are a good team from top to bottom, and especially at the back line. Okay. Well, that's in that one. So let's move on to the next <laughs> game, which was. Oklahoma City won. Atlanta United two only scored one, so Atlanta wins one zero against Oklahoma City. 
Yeah, so this yeah. if you're an energy fan, this was this was an ugly game and um, Atlanta United two, you know, you know, they got their goal in the sixty second minute. Um, but you know, to me, you know, Atlanta United two controlled most of the possessions even though the energy had more shots. But they just can't they just couldn't finish for whatever reason, you know, the energy when it gets to that final third just you know, just cannot get you know get it in you know get it in in the goal and um, as we discussed earlier with you know against uh, you know Tulsa in, in the in, in week one a um, they've got to get it figured out and you know they got to get it figured out quick because you know this was a game that you know if if you're looking to try to make the playoffs at home against Atlanta United two you figure three points is is something that, that that you're hoping to get in the bag and and to walk away with nothing but you know to me puts them in a hole um you know especially where they've already played two matches um you know they're you know they've only scored one goal all year and, and even on that goal was you know was against uh, tulsa you know when, when they were down you know, 2-0 on there so th- they've got to get it figured out quickly and if you're looking ahead to Oklahoma City's schedule, they have SKC 2 next. Then they host Atlanta United 2 again on uh, May 16th. So I'd be interested to see how they rebound with basically the identical fixture. Or so they need to start picking up points and just finding momentum within these next two games. I guess you could call it a blessing or a curse, but they don't play Louisville until for the first time until June or sorry July 14th, and they play them four times after that so there's a chance that they could still try and find their form until you start getting into the business portion of the year when you have to play teams like louisville and tulsa consecutively or in the season playing el paso and tulsa consecutively yeah because if you're looking at their schedule this is their easy part of the schedule you know where you had you know tulsa was a tough game to start but atlanta united two sporting kansas city two another atlanta united two they go on the road to birmingham which i think is a good team but then they get you know Memphis at you know at home again, which I don't think anybody expects Memphis to, to be a world beater. So if you're you know if you're Oklahoma City Energy, you are hoping to you know build some points at this point before you start playing Louisville, Indy, and Tulsa. You know especially in July where you know you get Tulsa twice, Indy, and Louisville twice. So um, you know you've got to start bagging these points. You know you know especially you know before you get to July because. That month is going to be brutal for them, um, you know, playing against the top teams. Yeah, time's running out for Oklahoma City to make a move because <clears throat> it's not going to get any any easier than this. And if they can't do it now, they're just going to fall straight to the bottom of the table and not have much of a chance to get out of it. And for a team who has, I mean, their fan base is good. They have a lot of – they have some talent on the team. I don't like seeing them there. I mean, they're one of those teams that kind of – somewhat root for to not be a team who has no chance of making playoffs. I like to see them at least hanging around. But moving on, one of the maybe not as much of an upset now, but an upset when we saw it happen. Rio Grande Valley beats New Mexico United 1-0 on kind of a odd goal, but still it's tough to win 1-0 and get a a win. That's all they need. Three points. But RGV was the better team. Like if you watch that game, RGV 
had the you know to me had the better chances. Um, you know, they were just they were just the, the to me the better team that game that they took it to Mexico United here. Um, to me, it's you know New Mexico kind of had that feel of uh, San Diego loyal. Um, you know, feeling where they just couldn't get out of their way. Um, you know, especially on the offensive side. Uh, you know, for that here, and, and and yeah, they got kind of a lucky goal where it was a, um, you know, a deflection. You know, in, into the open net, but um, you know, you have to give it to RGV. They, you know, you know, you know, and, and I, you know, I, I thought RGV was going to be better this year, um, just for the fact that they're a more balanced team. You know, with experience and youth, um, I think the talent's better, and. RGV HEB Park's a tough place to play at, so you know, you know, I thought, you know, I, I kind of well, I picked RGV to win, but um, it wouldn't have shocked me if New Mexico tied. But you know, I'm unlike others, I'm not a very high on New Mexico yet, uh, just because I do think that they did lose um, some key talent last year, uh, you know, for that here, and I want to wait to see how it how it plays out, and I know they got a big game this week here. Um, against El Paso to you know to kind of see how how they actually shape out, but you know don't un- underestimate that you know that first game of being an independent team and and having you know a roster that that they're able to build and not have handed down to them from Houston. Yeah, I, was, I think this is one where, like I said, Archie just deserved the win. We just didn't think it would come on the goal on that play. It's kind of mm-hmm. one of those where they. The goal they got was a bit luck, but they, if someone deserved three points, it was RGV for this one. And after their result uh, tonight against San Diego Loyal, we should be looking at RGV as maybe a bit better than many are going to give them credit for this year. Yeah, I mean, I think early on, they're probably the team I feel I've underrated the most going into this year. I mean, if you told me RGV in the first two games takes out New Mexico and San Diego, I'd probably laugh at you and say, yeah, okay, sure. It's like first minute red cards. I think if we're going to look at the Mountain Division as a whole, top to bottom, I feel like those teams are going to be the closest together in terms of quality. And I had admittedly had RGV outside of the top four in that division, but after seeing it now, I still I feel like they could definitely find themselves into a playoff spot at the end of the year but the mountain division as a whole well i think will just be I mean, uber competitive between the teams within that division yeah if, if, yeah if rgv keeps at this form they could be a playoff team maybe not like a top playoff team but if you start rgv plays like this for the rest of the year and finishes fourth i i could completely believe that and rg you know Playing at HEB Park is an advantage. Uh, having been there, um, it's it's a tough place to play. Um, it's hard to get there. It's not you know it's not easily uh, easy travel for the teams. Uh, the park's windy uh, for most nights, so um, you know I'll be interested to see when they go on the road to see how that kind of looks. But you know you've got to give them credit. You know two wins at home. Um, you know or two games at home, two wins at home against quality playoff teams. You, you would think going into the season. Um, you know not to look ahead, but uh, next week they get San Antonio uh, down in um, down in HEB Park. So depending on how San Antonio does, that could could be a very interesting match for both sides. 
In fact, I think uh, RJV's next four games in particular will be interesting. They have San Antonio twice, so they do a home-and-home. Home. They travel to El Paso, and then they travel to the Miami FC mm-hmm. to kick off the month of June. Which, in a geography fact, I feel like that's going to be the two furthest south teams to ever play at, against each other in a USL <laughs> match since we had Antigua uh, Barracuda in the league. Well, we could ask uh, Pony Antigua. on that since he's what, Mr. What, Geomaps? Is that what it uh, is? Playing or? Geogesser. Yeah. Geogesser. Yeah, I could, Antigua's going to be worth enough to <laughs> to throw that all off. Antigua. Um, but, yeah. And I, well, that was when we had teams like VSI, Tampa Bay, and uh, uh, the other uh, the three Puerto Rican teams in the league as well at that time. But, yeah, I guess going back to talking about San Antonio, they won their first game of the year 3-0 against Colorado Springs Switchbacks. And I think we will defer to the expert for this game. <laughs> so, yeah, this game was the Santiago Patino show, uh, you know, who came to San Antonio from uh, Orlando City, uh, got a hat trick, um, you know, two goals in the first half, the 16th and 28th, and then got a late one um, in the 87th minute. I think what made the, this game interesting is. Uh, the starting center back, Axel Schoberg, went down in the 20th minute, and, and you know, in so they had to move, you know, they had to move, uh, you know, a lot of parts to to kind of piece together the um, the defense. And Colorado Springs, I think, is better, but on this match or on this game here, they really didn't threaten, um, you know, San Antonio very quickly. I think they had two opportunities uh, where. Um, one of them they should have probably should have scored um, where, where he hit the side of the net. Uh, you know, it would have been interesting if Sam Gleadle would have been able to to stop the shot. But um, th- this game was, you know, while you were there, you went, you know, you knew Colorado Springs had possession, but it was about a 60-40 split. But San Antonio had the better chances, and it was one of those where San Antonio just kept pressing them and pressing them. And, you know, real, you know, really, you know, Colorado Springs had the possession, but it wasn't really in anywhere where you know they challenged San Antonio at all, or where you, you had any concerns. But San Antonio in the regular season, especially early, seems to start very well, um, as Pony will will mention. Later in the year in playoff time, that's where San Antonio's got to step up because early in the year they'll they'll get out to these good starts and they'll look nice, but. You know, come playoff time, they haven't proved it yet. Yeah, it always comes down to how could you do against the good teams when it counts, and things go back and forth. Occasionally, teams will just not perform. I know, even Sacramento. I know they had a, after their championship year, <laughs> they never really have had a good playoff run since that point. They've always, even if they get a one good result, it's followed up by a collapse in the second game. But, I mean, we'll see. I think San Antonio will be a good team this year. I moved them in my top ten. Colorado Springs people had us very good, which I kind of – I thought more they might be a borderline playoff team. And I think they do have talent. They signed some good players. If they're going to have their own field, that's going to help a lot again. But I just don't see them having taken enough of, uh, enough of a step to move into a team that I'm keeping an eye on when I say who are going to be the contenders in the West. I don't think it could ever put Colorado Springs in that group quite yet. But I do think, and listening to one of the podcasts on, on you know for you know for the switchbacks there, 
Coach Burke went into this almost like their final preseason friendly um, was you know it's kind of the mentality because they have a bye this week here. So to me, it'll be interesting to kind of see how they how they rebound um, from it. And you know, not that I'm a fan of you know wasting points, but you know f- you know San Antonio's never lost a home opener at Toyota Field, and um, and all in all what six years that they've been around. So. Um, it's you know it's the result I don't think was sh- you know the result 3-0 I think was maybe a little bit more shocking but that San Antonio one I don't think that that you'd see and, and like I said I think for San Antonio where they get Real Monarchs this week um, and then RGV next week uh, to me it'll be interesting to kind of see was this just you know uh, Colorado Springs still trying to get things figured out or you know is is San Antonio really ready to you know, kind of take that next step where, where they can be, you know, a, a dominant team in the league. I think what San Antonio has going for them this year is just comparative to uh, all the other teams in the league. They have a rather favorable schedule mm-hmm. on their offering. They like the toughest teams looking through their schedule is they play El Paso a few times just being in the same division, but. At a conference, they play the New York Red Bulls, too. They have to travel to, which will certainly be a tough road trip. They host Pittsburgh, and then they have Sacramento oh, and Tulsa. And I still feel like that's a pretty favorable uh, just kind of set of games. Yeah, they're, they're away. You know, when I was piecing together their away schedule um, for it, because, you know, yeah, they get their out-of-conference games really are tough. You know, tough one or at home. You know, you get Birmingham that comes in, you know, on the 22nd. Um, you know, they get to go play the lights, which, you know, you know, we'll get to it. You know, you know, last night they you – know, I think we'll get to it. Last night they played and, um, you know, for a half they looked good and then and then fell apart. Um, but to me, if, if, you know, if they can – you know, if they can hold their own at home, um, you know, they get Oklahoma City as in a way, they, but they get Tulsa at home, you know, so – you know the way matches that they that they have you know out of conference you know and and to me the red bulls too will, will be kind of depending on if they're still in it or not because um, that's later you know that's what august i believe um you know when they when they travel to new york so you know i think i think they have the schedule you know, but the question is, is, is can they actually live up to, you know, live up to the billing, you know, billing for it? Because as we've seen, uh, history says that they haven't with the exception of 2017. And even then on that year, the end of the year, they kind of, you know, let things go to drop from first to second. So, yeah, there's a lot of things up in the air and it'll be interesting to see how they uh, break it down because I think these are, yeah, they're two teams that I can see a very wide range of results this year. I mean, I could see, I could see, like especially San Antonio, I could see him making the West Finals, and I could see him being the third team and just can unlucky and run one of playoffs because there's no. And same for Colorado Springs. I could see Colorado Springs missing playoffs easily, and I could see him sneaking into fourth place and even challenging whoever. I guess it would probably be Phoenix at this point, taking him to the limits. But. But I, I, I want to see what El Paso does. Um, El Paso is going to be yeah, fun. I, where it's it's going to be interesting to see what kind of team that, you know that that they have because they're they're not a team that you that that's kind of that 
good looking team. You know, they're they're kind of that blue collar lunch pail team that you know you know will grind out games that you know will get the one oh you know two one wins. Um, but the, you know they're just not that flashy team like Phoenix. But you know at the end of the year when it matters the most, uh, history says that they're going to be there. Um, and and like I said here, you know they've been kind of fortunate in the playoffs. You know, but you know went, went in some PKs. But you know good teams do that. So uh, to me the Mountain, like I said, I, I do think that you know San Antonio, El Paso are probably the class of the division. Um, I still think New Mexico will, you know, probably be the, the, the third team, but that, you know, fourth spot, you know, to me between RGV, Colorado Springs, and um, Real Monarchs, you know, good luck on trying to make that determination on which one can do it. And, um, you know, I'm not that high on the bold, but, you know, they keep getting low knees from, you know, MLS teams. So we'll see if they can, you know, you know, piece the puzzle together to, to make them, you know, a, you know, a solid team, you know, out, you know, out in the mountain. But, you know, to me, you know, I talked with Landon Southwick, you know, the play-by-play guy of, of the Monarchs and, you know, he thought they were kind of still unknown because um, it's going to depend what kind of players that, that they get from Real Salt Lake. And um, they've kind of gone more with the um, uh, youth international uh, players you know, the young youth international players to kind of try that model out. So, um, you know, I know San Antonio plays uh, Real Monarchs, so it'll be kind of interesting to see how that actually looks this year. But, uh, you know, the Mountain, I think from top to bottom, the seven teams there, you know, I'm sure odds are one team will, will, will be horrible at the end. But I think as, as far as a complete division, um, I think as you mentioned, Pony, or, or it might have been um, uh, Ryan that uh, – you know, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be a bloodbath. All right, we're gonna move on to one final game this week, which is gonna wrap up what is technically the end of week two in the USL, where the Miami FC beat Loud United two to one, and well, it's actually kind of a weird game. Yes. Early red card from Miami FC and in the 14th you know, with 34. Yeah, and Loudon with thir- uh, 34 shots. But then after, uh, yeah, it was a strange one. You had two goals for the Miami FC within the first 10 minutes, and then Loudon got uh, their goal one goal back at 82. But yeah, this was just kind of like just really strange. To me, the weirdest part of this game is I think it exposed Miami's really bad weakness, which is their back line is not fast. Nope. And that's what the red card was. Their back line got beat on a long ball. That's where kind of the goal came from. Their back line got beat on a long ball. And to me, if I'm an opposing coach, whenever I play Miami, I am not necessarily putting my best skilled strikers up top. I am putting my two fastest players on my team up top and just going, burn those guys. Burn them as much as you can. The goal is just to throw the ball over and you will beat them. And they will have to give up goals or they will have to give up cards or they have to give up good shot, good penalty kicks or good set pieces. I mean, I don't think I've seen a team in a long time where it was just a speed difference to this extreme of an amount. I'm not sure if the Loudon guys were really that fast or if the Miami guys were that slow or if it's the mix, but if most teams have people as fast as Loudon does, Miami is in a lot of trouble if they, play, if they try to play a high line. 
because they will get burned again and again and again. Yeah, for me on this game, it was... And, and you know it's kind of crazy to say when you look at the stats, you know, you know, with total shots thirty-four, you know, chances created twenty-six, but you know, just you know, by by that point they were down two zero. Um, but you know, by the time they had that man advantage, and um, it, to me, it just it didn't feel like Loudon was ever going to get back into the match. And, and yeah, they got that goal late and kind of pressured a little bit. Um, to me, it'd have been interesting if maybe they would have got that goal right after the you know the first of the half. I think that might have changed the dynamics of the game. But um, at that point, you know Miami was you know just you know hey you you want to have it you you can you can take the shots and, and we'll clear it and you know you can take another shot and then, and Loudon just doesn't have the talent up front to to convert that at this point. Yeah, all they have to like the Miami keeper is Connor Sparrow, who is a very very good keeper. I mean he. Mm -hmm. Spent a few years at Real Monarchs, and I think he was the first off-the-bench option in, U in uh, MLS for a few teams for a couple years before finding his way back down to Miami. And, I mean, like I've mentioned keepers in the past, I mean, I think Sparrow, if I do just a draft keeper for my team out of all USL sides, he's a top-ten pick. I mean, he is a very, very good keeper, and he proved it. He had, I think he had eight, eight saves. Save. Yeah, eight saves. I mean, that was... You usually don't have eight saves in a game. If you have eight saves and only give up one goal, that is a very good performance. And if you could do that for Miami, Miami might live up to what we thought they were going to be last year. It might as well look bad. So we downgraded them this year, so they're going to be good and make us all look bad a second time because that's what these teams like to do. Hmm. So that was your... Week one and week two wrap up. We're not going to get into games that are technically week three because that is week three and that is next week. So we've given you some spoilers, but I'm sure at this point you have heard the results. We'll talk about it more <laughs> as we <laughs> move along. <laughs> but from all of us, the USL show, let's see how where can we find you on Twitter or any social media starting with Harry. Yeah, you can follow me mainly at uh, R A M I N C O L at Ram and Call. Um, I'm pretty sure most everybody knows who I am because uh, I am not the quiet one, we'll just say, out of the bunch. <laughs> and Ryan? You can find me on Twitter at ILM underscore Ryan. And for Pony, who is at USL underscore Pony and the rest of the USL show as a whole, we thank you for listening in this week to talk. let us ramble about soccer and all these other random things that you for some reason like to listen to i mean it's your time not ours but thank you all for listening and we will see you all next week thank you for listening bye